third chapter of Amos. <clears throat> Before we start this morning, I just want to say how happy Betty and I are to be here again in Biloxi, the church that we love so much. What a blessing it has been to us through the years. So many of the people we knew and loved are either moved or with the Lord. And some of you that I, uh, there are still a few of you here that we know. Uh, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in the Fellowship Hall a long time ago, back in the 80s. Uh, day after tomorrow, we celebrate our 56th wedding anniversary. God is good all the time. And I always tell my wife when we meet somebody new, I ask them, I say, do you know how long this, why this girl has put up with me? And they'll look at me in astonishment and say, how long? I'll say, 56 years, uh, 55 years and a lot of change. And now it's almost 56. And what a blessing it's been. We have three children that are all grown and married and we have seven grandchildren. Thank you for calling us to come back here this morning and preach God's unchanging word. I, I just for a minute like to see how many of you were here. We came in 1977 for the first time to serve in, in the pastor of this church. How many of you were here in 1977? Now on this side I see only one hand. Are you kidding me? One hand. How many over here? Let me count them. One, two. I know these two on the front row here. Three, uh, three and back there. Y'all weren't here then. No, you weren't Sally and Skipper. Who else right here? Tricia. Yeah, yeah. Y'all were a little late comers. And Pat, you were here. I said you were here, Tricia. Uh, Pat and Ken, good to see y'all here this morning. And I met some of the others of you that I've never seen before, before the service. And uh, it's a joy to have you here today. Several from Keesler, and we have a lot of friends we still hear from it, uh, who were at Keesler when we were here. It's just such a joy to be here and share God's Word with you. And I want you now to look at chapter 3 of Amos, beginning with verse 9. Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great one, ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses. Then he will plunder all their fortresses. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus reclining on couches. Now listen to this and announce it throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the God of heaven's armies. 
On the very day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions, and their summer houses too, all their palaces filled with ivory, says the Lord. May God add his blessing to our reading and understanding of his holy and inspired and unchanging word. Let's bow again in a moment of prayer. Father, these words are so appropriate to us in America today. It just brings chills to us as we stop and pause and think about what is being said and how it affects us like it did your people of Israel in those early times. And so as we think together for a few moments, we pray that by your Spirit, once again, you would be pleased to speak to us, touch our hearts, show us what you want us to hear, help us to realize that we need to be walking in your ways, seeking your face, doing your will, for we too must be reminded, as you say in Amos, my people have forgotten. Thank you, Lord for the privilege of getting into your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love to preach from Amos. He's probably, if not my favorite, one of my very favorite of the prophets. I preached from Amos, I think, the last time that you invited me down. Uh, And as I recall the title of the message at that time, What in the World is God Doing? Today, I simply entitled the message, My People Have Forgotten. Think with me this morning as we look into his word. You know the Bible says that it is possible for God's people to become so rebellious and so insensitive to him and his purposes in their lives that he, in effect, becomes their enemy. You ever thought about that? We talk today about struggling against the devil, forces of hell. And we put great emphasis emphasis on not falling victim to the power of Satan. But it seems that in our concern to avoid falling into the power of Satan, we have fallen out of the power of God. And some of the people who have joined the church, I guess they just joined because that's what you're supposed to do, most people here think. They've joined the church and considered themselves to be followers of the Lord for years, but they have found that their purposes and directions in life have not really been in harmony with the relationship which they claim in their heart that they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's the case with you this morning. Will you think about that for a few moments? And if it is the case with you this morning, I'd ask you to look for a moment at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. It says this, But they rebelled against him, and they grieved his Holy Spirit, and that is, because, uh, that is why he became their enemy and fought against them. Isn't it amazing, folks? 
And isn't it incredibly sad that the people of God should reach the point where they find themselves pitted against God? What about you? But throughout the writing of the prophets and in this particular passage, we've got the constant reminder of God's judgment upon His people. And it's addressed to chosen people, to covenant people. In other words, to those who have committed themselves to God to the extent that they were called, and today are called, the people of God. Now, I've got to say to you this morning that there is, as you read and study this, this part of Scripture, you've got to find the, the drama that's here, real drama in the text. And so I want you to look, starting with verse 9 of Amos 3. Look at verse 9. Amos tells the leaders of Assyria and Egypt to take their seats on the hills around Samaria and witness the scandalous spectacle of all of Israel's crimes. <clears throat> God's prophet is inviting the heathen nations that surround God's people <clears throat> to come and watch what God's going to do. It's like this. God says, my people have received special revelation. And they have had the prophets. <clears throat> and they have had my word. And they have entered into a covenant relationship with me. And then all around these special people to whom God has chosen to reveal himself are the heathen pagan nations, enemies to whom a prophet of God had never once gone. These heathen people had never had a revelation of the Lord preached to them, and it would seem, according to our text, that these ungodly nations and peoples would now become the judges of the people of God. You know, read this text. It's really quite a sight, a very... Sad sight. The enemies of the Lord gathering to judge the covenant people which you and I claim to be just like they did. I don't see how the skies in Israel could have been any darker than they were at this particular time. And I've got to say that I could not read this account without reminding myself that if God would use the godless lands of Assyria and Egypt in, in old times like he did then, then surely he would use godless nations and peoples to judge his people today. So we need to be reminded that God will not tolerate disobedience to his covenant on the part of his covenant people any more than he would in the days of the Old Testament. Now please, Listen and try, try to get the picture here, if you will. Israel was enjoying a time of unprecedented prosperity. Well, hello, what about America today? They were living lives of ease. Again, hello. There was peace on the home front like that which we have enjoyed in America for so very long. Hello. There was harmony, prosperity, 
unprecedented peace and luxury and affluence. And you would think that surely in a time like that, any nation, any people would have paused and thanked Almighty God for it. Lord, thank you for our peace and for giving us all these good things, things necessary for life and so much more besides. But no, that's not what we do. Instead of thanking God, the people then were using their prosperity and peace to go farther and farther away from God. Are you listening? And so in the midst of their prosperity, there was great unrest. There was great insecurity. Despite the tremendous advances, material advances, I just wonder this morning if you and I as Americans can really identify with this. We ought to be able to. In America, we have never known a period of peace like you and I have enjoyed in our lifetime, have we? You know it's true. A time of ease, prosperity, unparalleled, unprecedented, anywhere on this earth that God has created. And yet, in spite of all these blessings, there is in our land a knowing sense of unrest, of insecurity, of internal upheaval that's tearing away at the very heart of our society. And it's the same tragedy. It's the same tragedy that unfolded so many centuries ago in Israel. And I say to each of you who claim the Lord today in his name that just as the heathen enemies of Israel gathered around about the mountains to observe the drama that was being acted out, so also like vultures around their prey today, godless heathen lands are surrounding America. And you can, well, I, I, so you can take that to the bank. It's happening, folks. It's happening. It's been said that America will be the last vestige of freedom to fall on planet Earth. And around us today, our enemies are watching the drama as it begins to unfold. And what are we doing about it? What are we doing? Instead of falling on our knees and faces before the only one who can redeem and heal us and our land, we are doing exactly like Israel did, stubbornly going our own way. And looking out for number one. I'm looking out for me. I've got to look out for me. And me is the most important. And we, we have disregarded the purposes of God for our individual lives. I hate to say it, but that's a picture of America today. And it's a tragedy of no small degree. And if you still got your Bible open, look at verse 10 of Amos 3. My people have forgotten what it means to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Now look at verse 13 and 14. Listen to this announcement and publish it throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the God of hosts. On the same day I punish Israel for her sins, I will also destroy the idol 
altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. Are you with me? Are you still with me this morning? Let me ask you this question. I want to know, I think this is God. what God would have me to ask you. Do you understand what his prophet is saying? Do you understand? The people of God had become so insensitive to the words of the Lord that they did not even know how to do what was right any longer. They had lost any real capacity to do what was right. They could not even discern the real will of the Lord because their prosperity and their peace had built a barrier between them and Him. It had driven a wedge between the people of the people in God, but also among themselves because the land was torn by classes and levels of society. So I ask you this morning, if you can see how they had lost any real contact with God, how about you? Are you playing church? You just come because it's a thing to do, and others do it, and you figure you might as well. Is that the case with you? It was with so many of them. Their worldliness had caused them. Their worldliness had caused them to decay. It had sapped their spiritual strength. It had made them incapable of doing right. And it's still happening today. Folks, please, again, I ask you to listen. Discerning prophets of God today are much concerned about our country because America, like Israel of old, has had it so easy. And I'm not really convinced that we're still capable of rising courageously to a terrific, terrific challenge like we once were. Are you? Do you know why the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor? Their leaders told them, told our leaders, excuse me, their leaders told our leaders after the attack, they told our leaders that they did so for this reason, because they did not believe that the Americans had the courage to retaliate. Thank God we did. But are we still capable of doing so today? As a people, we have lost character and we've lost courage and we have lost reason to stand on principle. And we are, we're leaning on comfort, aren't we? Comfort and ease and everybody wants to do his own thing. How about you? And we have built a materialistic society in America to the almost to the almost disregard of our Creator. We've lost our moral and spiritual perception, and again, like Israel of old, we no longer know how to do what is right. But I'd like to do for just a few more minutes this morning what God's prophet did as he sought to carry the people back in their minds and to make them remember where they had come from. Listen, you're not like those heathen nations. Don't you know that you're the house of God? 
You have a special privilege. And so God reminded them who they were and who they belonged to and where they came from. And I earnestly believe with all my heart this morning that we too must be reminded. Who are we? We are children of the King. The King of kings and Lord of lords. We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And we ought to live like it. And we ought to stand like it. And we ought to act like it. And we ought to conduct our lives on the principles of His unchanging Word. And so, with His prophet Amos this morning, in Christ's name I remind you, believer, whose you really are, if you are a believer. Look at verse 14. It says that God's judgment is certain. And although the prophet does not point out a specific time and place, he does say that God's judgment is inevitable. You see it there. In America, we have willfully disobeyed the will of God, and he's not going to allow his people to do that when they know that they should not, but they do it anyway. The people of Israel had become callous toward each other and uncaring about justice in their land. They had ceased to love God. They had ceased to care about the things of God. And at this very point, we come face to face with our greatest need in America today. Folks, young and old alike this morning, we are and have been blatantly disobedient to the will of God. We talk today a lot about needing to know more about the Bible. And it's a fact that in this country today, in America today, we've got a lot of people who want to study the Word of God, the Bible, and learn more. And you know, I'm real happy about that, and I'm sure you are too, that desire. But the the crying need is for His people who are called by His name to really do what? We know God wants us to do and not just what we want to do. And our problem is not with the scriptures that we don't fully understand. Our problem is doing what we do understand, knowing what we do understand and refusing to do. And yet God is still challenging us. He says, do what you know to do in no uncertain terms, in loud voice. Do what you know to do. But that's not where we, that, that really is where we have the difficulty. We all know to do a lot more than we do. And someday God's going to lose all patience and call a halt. Someday. Maybe much sooner than you think. This is what the prophet Amos wrote about. He wrote about Israel when he said, As he spoke for the Lord God, I will visit your transgressions upon you. I will come in judgment upon you because you persist in disobeying me. And just look at the destruction which accompanied the judgment of God upon his people Israel. Look at verse 11 and 12 and 15. Look at it. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming who is surrounding my people and shattering their forts and plundering their beautiful homes. And folks, any time you live like Israel did so many, many years ago, 
an enemy is going to appear because God will not tolerate the judgment of his people forever. He will not let those who claim his name live in disobedience forever. The enemy was bound to come against Israel. And the enemy did come against Israel. And if God would move in judgment then because of their disobedience, how can he fail to bring judgment upon America today for ours? How can he fail to send an enemy against us who's already on the way and already already here and destroy us, our homes, everything that we have and cherish. And when the blow falls, it's going to, well, it's not going to be light. Some people think it is, but they are so, so wrong. It's going to be full. It's going to be complete. The prophet is talking about the fact that destruction is coming, America, a sad and solemn and deadly destruction. America, can you hear him? Can you hear the prophet? And afterwards, for Israel, there was little evidence of what once was. And is that what it's going to be with America? So this morning, in Christ's name, I ask you to remember once again that these were God's people, people of the covenant to whom he had revealed himself as well as to their fathers. He had brought them out of slavery he took them through the wilderness. He, promised, he uh, took them to the promised land. He promised them that they would be punished. And in our text, he says that all that will remain of you will be a few beds and couches and pillows. And why? Why is that the case? Because there was no real evidence among the people of God that they had any hunger for God. Do you hunger for God this morning? Do you? Do you really? No evidence that, that his people ever fell on their knees before him in earnest prayer. I ask you, what about you? How often do you fall on your knees in earnest prayer? That they ever revered and obeyed his word. What about you? And you could sift through the remains of that judgment later on. But all you would ever be able to find would be evidence that they were a sensual people, a materialistic culture with virtually no thought of God. And these were the people of God. Hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to imagine. They claimed that they were his, even as we sitting here in his house this morning do. But they were so wrapped up in living for their own lives and comforts that the only evidence left after God's judgment would be evidence of sensuality. And when the history of the time in which you and I live, which you and I live and enjoy life on planet Earth, when it is recorded, I wonder if the record is going to show evidence of our hunger for God, our seeking after Him, our standing for His purposes and for His holiness, or will the record simply show Notes and artifacts of materialism and sensuality and bodily comfort with no real concern whatsoever for the things of eternity, only for the things of self. I have to tell you this morning, I really couldn't, could not help but 
grieve in my heart as I read and studied this particular passage about a nation whose God was the Lord, but which nation, in spite of their tremendous blessing, became so disobedient and so rebellious to the known will of God that when the ashes of her judgment were sifted through, all that could be found would be an account of a nation which lived for self and the satisfaction of pleasure and the things of temporary existence. Now right quick, would you just look at verse 15, last verse of the chapter. God said, And I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions, their summer houses too, all their palaces will, uh, that are filled with ivory. I, the Lord, have spoken. You look back and you think about even Solomon in all his glory had only a throne, only a throne of ivory. But these people had homes, houses of ivory. They were wealthy, but their wealth and luxury living and prosperity had robbed them of their spiritual strength and their real reason to exist. You see, folks, the tragic fact was simply this. The people of God who lived in the day of our text were trying to justify their style of living on the basis that it was evidence that God was blessing them. And don't we do the same thing today? When we ask God to bless us, think about it. Most of the time we're thinking about having enough of this and that, enough money to get what we want, to do what we want, having the kind of house we want, the kind of car, the kind of boat. The list goes on and on and on. And when we get these things, we say, man, look at me. Look at this. God has been so good. Look how God has blessed us. And we hear very little, if anything, about spiritual blessings. Very little, if anything. But we hear so much about material blessings. The people who lived in the day of Amos the prophet just knew that since they were so prosperous, God was blessing them. But you know, prosperity is not a sign of the blessing of God. God may bless you with prosperity, but it's not an absolute sign of his blessing. And the fact is that in every culture, some of the most godless people have been some of the most prosperous people. So I urge you to be careful this morning lest you attribute the prosperity and progress of America <clears throat> and your own life in particular as being a sign of the blessing of God. It may, in fact, be just the exact opposite. The truth, the truth folks, is that not many people can stand prosperity. Because you know what prosperity does? In so many cases, it just cuts the heart out of people. It removes character. And those who have it become too fearful of what they might lose. But the person who has lost, already lost everything, isn't so concerned about what's going to happen next. And that's why Satan is afraid of the person who has abandoned everything to God. The one who has done that doesn't really have anything to lose. And he's dangerous to the devil and the forces of hell. 
And that's why, in my opinion, there's such tremendous pressure in the religious world today to keep Christianity confined to certain, a, a certain type pattern to cause us to conform, to continue with traditional and ritualistic and formal religious worship rather than recklessly serving our great God. But I pray this morning, I pray today, that God will allow our churches to be those that serve Christ Jesus with reckless abandon because he has promised to give it to us and to be in it with us if we serve him. So don't be content. I urge you, everyone, don't be content in life trying to protect the things that you have. If you really believe that God gave you those things, then give them back to him with reckless abandon and trust him to see that they are used wisely. The, the, the bottom line of truth this morning is that we as a people have become selfish, we've become self-centered, we've become soft, we've become indulgent, we've become sensual, we've become extravagant, we've become luxury-seeking, and we've become leisure-seeking. And as hard as it is to say, and especially at a time like this in the life of our land and our people, I must say it in his name because it's true. Perhaps one of the best things that could happen to you and me in America today would be for our national situation to become so desperate that we are driven back to God. God says this, when you willfully disobey me, then I will visit your transgressions upon you. Folks, there's an adversary waiting in the wings today but God has told you and me what to do about it. He has told us what to do about it. And we need to listen to him because there's no time to, work, to, to waste and listen to others who know nothing about the truth. No time to wait for tomorrow. And as, as true believers, we're not supposed to play games with God, to tread water. We're engaged in combat of eternal consequence. We're wrestling against principalities and against powers. And we are wrestling, though, we are wrestling in the awesome power of God. And what is our role? Our role is simply to be obedient. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we hear your word in these verses so clear. And yet we tend to yawn in spite of it. Please speak to us again, we pray, by your spirit. For the glory of Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen.